Hey there, kart fans, kart racers. Welcome back to another EKN Debrief. Here on the EKN Radio Network, episode number 16, mid-February. My name's Rob Howden. Pleased to have everyone with us. We've got David Cole here uh, as well in the EKN studio as we get set to, to discuss the Supercarts USA Winter Series finale. Uh, things going really well. Uh, with our ECAN radio network. We're pleased that everybody's enjoying it. Got a lot of great people listening in, good feedback as well. A new approach, as we've said, is we're kind of getting into the groove here with the, with the debrief. Uh, last year through what, probably around 13 podcasts, we used it kind of just as our, our primary uh, show to be able to discuss what happens in the sport, the news that was coming. The new stuff's going to come into a different podcast down the line. This de- debrief we're using to strictly look at the race we were just at sit down, break down the race, talk about some of the cool stuff, discuss the racing that happened, um, and it's been going great. And we appreciate the feedback. We appreciate everybody listening in. This week's show was presented by CRG Nordam. CRG Nordam is the American headquarters and factory team for CRG Italy. Located in Conroe, Texas, CRG Nordam's warehouse and race shop is stocked with chassis and parts to support CRG dealers around the country. So when you're ready to accept nothing but the best, choose CRG. Again, the debrief for the Supercarts USA Winter Series finale, rounds three and four. We were at the Ocala Grand Prix in Florida. David Cole now joining me here on the on the debrief. Dave, you weren't able to be with me, but I do appreciate you tuning in on uh, to the broadcast on Sunday. You essentially manned the uh, the Excel spreadsheet for the championship points for Supercarts USA. Um, you definitely, you obviously developed a pretty good reputation in, in certain ways, but you're definitely the, the carding math wizard when it, when it comes to spreadsheets. That's a good thing. It, it, well, it helps to have a math degree, I guess. Right. Listen, <laughs> um, you, yeah. you, went, well, you spent the family, you spent the money on the math degree. You become a carding journalist, the leading carding journalist in the sport. We might as well leverage that math degree every once in a while. I can add two plus two, so it works out. <laughs> you can do more than that. All right. But so, yeah, it, no, it was, uh, it's, it's always interesting, you know, because the majority, if not all of the EK and live broadcasts that we do, I'm there. And so it, it's, it's an odd feeling of not being there and listening on online at home, which in a way it kind of helps me relax a little bit because I know what's going on and, and I can understand not have to wait for the race report to get done. And I'm, I'm boom right there listening and knowing exactly what's going on. Uh, it's fun to do that. But uh, yeah, I, I, I of course would have liked to have been trackside, especially in sunny Florida. It was pretty nice. Uh, you know, we, we had great weather at Homestead as well. A little bit of rain on the Friday of Ho- at Homestead. We had, I think maybe about five minutes where it sprinkled a little bit of rain on Friday again uh, in Ocala, but otherwise, man, you know, we're talking mid-February, early February, sunny, you know, 65 degrees in the morning, 80, 82, 83 in the afternoon. Now, granted, it was humid. Like, you know, we rolled into the track, I want to say it was on Sunday, and it was just absolutely fog-covered, mist-covered, and the humidity was 100%. But that's, you know, that's Florida, and you're getting used to it. We did have a threat of rain throughout the weekend. There were some heavy clouds. At one point, real heavy, and it looked like it's going to happen for sure. But we never did need to go to wets, and I think everybody was pretty happy about that. We were able to simply just uh, run the uh, the MGs all weekend long. The uh, the weather was perfect. Let's put it that way. Um, 
it was perfect enough that <laughs> Dave, you'll laugh about this. We're it. So Ocala's got this great uh, building right at start finish. Now you walk in, you turn right into timing and scoring. I'll give props that uh, Lindsey Fox and Tom Thielen were doing timing and scoring, two of the best in the business. Uh, no issues whatsoever. You go right into the announcer's booth. Well, they're both separate rooms, close the doors. They both got air conditioning. Of course, Alicia and I are in our room. You know, it's 80 degrees outside. We got the we got the air conditioning hammered down, hammered down to like 70. In the other room, it's totally off. And these Southerners are all bundled up. You know, they've got their jackets on. Well, not jackets, but they had their, they had their sweaters on still. Uh, let's just put it this way. They weren't enjoying the 75 like we were. It was cold to them at 65 in the morning. We were like, oh, this is fantastic. Shorts, T-shirts, perfect. Yeah, Lindsay being, <laughs> Lindsay being a Florida resident, she's she's used to that coldness weather. Tom, I, I you know, he... He's Texas. Yeah, but I mean, he's always wearing shorts. So I don't, you know, I think he's just naturally weird. I don't know. <laughs> he did. It, and you're right. He had shorts yeah. on. You're, you, 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 he had shorts on. Exactly. Uh, I know that you get the chance to work with Tom every year at the, uh, at the Rock Island Grand Prix. They were a great addition this weekend to have, uh, of course, Tom, who's been with Supercarts USA, especially in Florida from the very Florida, you know, the Florida winter tour days back in 99 when he first met. Jim Murley and essentially became the timing and scoring guy for Scusa. Many, many years of, of doing the promoto tour. Uh, he still does the Rock Island Grand Prix, has done that probably since he went there with Tom in 98 or 99. Um, and then Lindsay, of course, works for IMSA. And, uh, you know, when I walked in the door and watched them, saw that they were both there, I went, wow, timing and scoring will be perfect this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be no issues whatsoever. And there was. It was, it was absolutely perfect. Um, numbers were strong again. And I think – you know, anytime people talk about the the state of the sport, uh, there are obviously different levels. There's club, there's regional, there's national. I would consider this series to be this program to be essentially, you know, a national spring training kind of deal. Um, numbers are good. There was 220 at, uh, at Homestead, 190 here. We always expect uh, a 10 percent drop off. It was actually 14 percent was the decrease from Homestead to Ocala. It's still good numbers. I think a lot of the, the issues, obviously, with the stock Honda category. Um, but numbers were good. 190 drivers. My goodness. Like that's, you know, two great days. If you do uh, do a two day total and you, you double that, it looks massive in terms of what, how some of the other organizations uh, do their full entry numbers. Uh, but David, you and I've talked about it many, many times. We were wondering how the stock Honda program was kind of going to look at the winter series, knowing that uh, obviously a vast majority of the Scusa drivers are on the West coast in stock Honda. Uh, you know, Scusa hoping, I think, probably to draw a couple guys from the F-Series, maybe somebody else, you know, guys from the Midwest. Maybe pull more guys from Texas. That didn't happen. Um, the the DKC guys didn't haul over with the Sodi carts. They ran tag around a rather X-30 senior uh, at Homestead anyways. But, you know, they, they, they got five guys from the F-Series, really five of the best guys from the F-Series uh, gear-up challenge. Rory Vanderster, Colin Daly, Mike Rivera, uh, Tyler Gilbo. Uh, were there as well. So they had four. I said five. They actually had four guys from there. Um, you know, all in all, not bad because then you look at the F-Series and you know, they had about 19 guys total that, that that attended more than one race of that program. So they got four or five guys, but, you know, it, it just wasn't that great. A, a total of what? Uh, not even, I want to say 17 or 18 guys in the stock Honda category uh, for Ocala. Uh, obviously work to do on that particular program. 
Well, I think a lot of it again, and like we talked about at the at the last show after after Homestead was, it's the uncertainty of what's the future. A lot of guys are still just kind of hanging off, waiting to see what's going to happen with shifter kart racing, as far as Supercarts USA is concerned. Uh, you know, it, it was expected again that the new engine was going to be here, and it might have been made its debut at the Florida program just in Florida. So I think you know some guys weren't really planning on being down here for with a stock Honda. So I think, and again, maybe a lot of people are just waiting for the pro tour because again, the pro tour three events and you add the super nets, it's four big major events that you gotta, you gotta schedule for. And, and you know, sometimes people just have the, have good budgets. Sometimes people have lower budgets. So uh, it could be a budgeting thing. It could just be the engine selection. There's a number of different factors into why the numbers weren't as big as what we thought they were going to be. Yeah, you and I have had discussions with lots of uh, team uh, owners who have who have said that uh, at one point when the Rotax program was running two weekends in January, two weekends in February, two weekends in March, that a lot of their customers were blowing through most of their budget in the winter. You hadn't even got to the main season yet, and they were already blowing through it. And I think that was – I know for sure that was one of the reasons in talking to Tom Kutcher that they didn't want to go – to four races, knowing rather the three weekends, knowing that they were going to be going to the Winter Nationals in March. What do you do? You to come back in late March uh, for another winter race? No, you know, just do the two weekends, get it done. Um, and I think if you look at the, the the contrast between Stock Honda and Miami, obviously there's a lot of people that want to run the Winter Series because 17 in micro, 41 drivers in mini, uh, 46 in junior, 34 in senior, and 14 in masters. Those are great numbers. Um, and I think you see the people that have IME power plants want to run in the winter, and that's great. So, you know, the, obviously the California Pro Car Challenge got kicked off on the first weekend of February as well. They'll skip March and they'll be back at, in the first week of April. Well, there you have it, right? There's your your West Coasters getting started really only three weeks after they, they started in Florida. So you're not going to see a ton of guys coming from California because they want to race because they're already racing the button willow the first weekend of, of April. Uh, bottom line is I think pretty, a, a really solid overall launch for the Scusa Winter Series. Good numbers. Yes, uh, the shifter car program with its uncertainty, as you mentioned, David, very, not I don't say concerning, but it's definitely something they have, they have to work on. They know they have a new motor that they've been testing like crazy. They feel very close to that, that they're happy with the way that motor is. Uh, and talking to everyone at Scusa. Lynn Haddock being one, the concept just to get it out there this year, lock it down, get the top S1 guys driving it to, to find out what it's going to look like when the big dogs beat on it for a while and tune on it for a while. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the new IAMI 175cc engine kind of debut, maybe an S1 in Florida. Will they push it up to Super Nats? I don't know, depending on how many guys they get on it, playing around with it, they may. But otherwise, I think you'll see that motor uh, debut in S1 in uh, in Florida next year, David. Cool thing, and I, and I loved it. You know, I, I love the the contrast between the two cycle and the four cycle, the screaming IAMIs and and that exhaust note of the Hondas, and then you can hear them thundering off the the pit lane when the LO two hundred six guys come out. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and good numbers. Uh, another solid double digit turnout. Uh, twenty one drivers, twenty two I think total in uh, in the LO two hundred six program. Great split of chassis. We have a, a number of different chassis, VLR, Burrell, MGM. Uh, we had Tony carts and, and TB carts added to the mix and Masters. The the 206, you and I, you and I are, are karting uh, addicts. We like almost any opportunity. You'll, you know, road race, dirt, 
sprint, whatever it may be. Two cycle, four cycle. We love the we love the four cycle guys, and they put a flipping fantastic show on at Ocala. That track really is made for for two hundred six racing. Yeah, it's the short confines of it definitely help for uh, for the Briggs engine to kind of shine there with the tight packs and different opportunities to pass real quick opportunities because it's a lot of back and forth uh, in the in the far section instead of the long straightaway in the sweeping corner. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's good to see that there were a number of different brands within the uh, the Briggs categories. I mean, CRG was also involved in it. Uh, so, I mean, you're looking at what, five, six, seven different chassis brands and 21 drivers or 22 drivers. It's, it's a pretty good, uh, uh, variety. Yeah. Great numbers. 13 in senior nine in masters. The racing was exciting. We're going to, when we come back after this break, Dave will now break down a little bit of some of the chassis that were there. And and we'll talk a bit about that because it's interesting that with this cool mix of kind of European Italian chassis and the American guys coming in there. And doing really well. I think that's one of the interesting things about 206. It's that level playing field. And there's a lot of guys with with who have developed really good chassis that are stepping up. Otherwise, we're going to go to our first break here on the EK and Debrief, episode number 16. Dave Cole and I breaking down the finale of the Supercarts USA Winter Series. Stick with us. we got more to come after these brief messages. If you want to race against the best, to truly push yourself, to accelerate your development, you must take on the challenge that is the Supercarts USA Pro Tour. For the last eight years, the Scusa Pro Tour has developed into the largest and most competitive national series in the country. With a pure class structure of IAMI and stock Honda racing, nothing else even comes close. The venues are top-notch, hitting the best tracks in the country. NOLA Motorsports Park, the Sim Raceway Performance Karting Center, and Newcastle Motorsports Park. The second annual Winter Nationals kicks off the 2018 edition of the Pro Tour on March 2nd, 3rd, and 4th in New Orleans. It's kart racing in the Big Easy. Tremendous competition, a world-class track, and Nolan's food and hospitality. Round 2 takes teams to wine country in Sonoma on May 4th, 5th, and 6th for the 8th running of the Spring Nationals at one of the most popular layouts in the United States. And then the championships will be decided at the mile-long crown jewel of the Midwest, Newcastle, on August 10th, 11th, and 12th. The Summer Nationals will likely be the biggest race in the country this year, other than the Super Nationals. And the number one plates and tickets to the IAMI International Final in France will be up for grabs. The Scusa Pro Tour, the longest-running, most competitive national series in the history of American karting. Challenge yourself experience it. No race will ever seem as daunting. For more information, head to supercartsusa.com slash protour. Hello, karting fans. This is Gabby Chavez, and you're locked into the EKN Radio Network. Rob Howden and David Cole back here on the EKN Radio Network for our 16th episode of the EKN Debrief. Dave, we're, uh, dude, we're working our way up there, 16. I, you know, we did, what, 13 podcasts last year? We've got like four or five already booked out here, January, February. I, I'm, I'm pushing for 60. That's what I want this year, Six, at least 60 podcasts. Well, we we mapped out the the ECAN tour this year and it's 27 events. So we're going to have 27 debriefs. So there's 27 <laughs> podcasts right there. Well, and if we, do the, uh, if, we, if we do the job right, we'll have 
20 or so uh, happy hours too. So we're good to go. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So we're we're two thirds of the way there. So I, I think I think for sure uh, a sixty sixty is a good number to hit. Uh, I think for for the season. I mean, that's at least one podcast a week. So I, I think like sixty is a good number. We'll probably get more than that, but we're having fun with this, and and the feedback has been great. And I'll say this right now: if you're listening to us on the Ecan Radio Network, you know David's post and when he does the schedule on the network, you can see you're going to get you know two, three, four opportunities a day to listen. Number of days down the line, it's going to go to the podcast. You'll be able to find it on the website under the media tab under podcast. It's going to be on iTunes. So make sure you go to iTunes and subscribe to the Ecan Radio Network. Great way to get the content. You're rolling down the road in the morning, going to work or coming home, click it on. It's perfect. Um, but we're having a lot of fun doing it. We'd love to have the feedback. Of course, when we post it up on Facebook, uh, make sure you, you hop on there. Just give us a couple of comments. If there's a topic you want us to talk about, let's hear it. If there's somebody you think we need to interview, a father-son team, a a mother-daughter team, you name it, let us know. That way we can find out and we'll jump on it. Dave, let's move uh, into the Paddock Pass now. Uh, The Paddock Pass this week uh, brought to you by K1 Race Gear. And I want to kind of spin off of what we said earlier when we wrap things up from the overview. Um, Number of different chassis. And I think... I'll tell you, let's put it this way. You know that the guys on the CRGs, the Tony Carts, uh, the Burrells, they've been long time, at least from where I'm from, they've been long time um, uh, stalwarts in the program, in the in the, uh, the four-cycle program. Up in Ontario, we battled against the, the Burrells uh, for years with Enzo Chiovidi and the whole crew up there. Um, I, you know, we see the VLR has come in big, the, the chassis that RLV is bringing in. It's uh, obviously a quality piece, man. The thing is an absolute hot rod. But I, I love the fact that Paul Rice and the crew from MGM uh, c- came in, got his new espionage chassis, and, dude, they were fast. Zach Linsell was fast. Alexander Searle was fast. Um, they, they, they won Master with Joey Miller. So uh, the great thing is these chassis are right in there battling. It's that lower horsepower. I, I don't know, just the designs that they've come up with. The domestic chassis are strong. And I think anywhere you go, it's so cool to see so many different chassis, whether it's Margay, whether it's Coyote, whether it's MGM. Uh, these, you know, it's good to see these guys step up. I love it. Well, the, uh, the, the main idea with the Briggs package is that it focuses the effort. It's the em- it emphasizes the driver and the chassis. It's getting both mm-hmm. to work together as one. They become one. Uh, so the, uh, <laughs> So it's, you know, some chassis work for some people, other chassis work better for other people. It's, it you know, you got to find that right combination and, you know, because, because you put me or you in, into a chassis, it's going to take us some time to get it, to understand it. You, you throw, you know, you throw a, a Joey Wimsett or, or a Ryan Norberg and you throw them in any cart and they'll be fast. So it just, yeah. it's just finding that right combination. And so the Briggs package with the engine being so, so low of a horsepower, that it really does emphasize the driver and the chassis. And if you can get both to work well, obviously it shows success. Cool thing about Ocala, and we'll talk, uh, we'll spin off of this right into the track itself. And it actually, we can just do that as well. We mentioned the tight confines of Ocala. It's not a long racetrack. We're talking 38 to 42 second laps, depending, depending on the category. Um, there's a couple of big flowing corners where, you know, when you talk about chassis, you got to get that car to take a set. You don't want it to bind up. You got to keep it rolling through that, you know, the final corner of the big carousel. You got a couple of hairpins in there as well. 
it really does stress the stress the chassis, but it's not an overly fast racetrack, and I think that plays to the two hundred six category as well. But just a really tough track. You you in our note when we were talking about it in our notes, you, you referred to it as the Bristol of karting, which I think is is cool. You go to a track like Newcastle, wide open. You know, it's these huge long straightaways. It's you know a minute long, a minute and a half, you know a minute and five, minute and ten second laps. Then you come here in just forty seconds, and it's you're it's Bristol, dude. It's it's a you put your elbows up and you you work hard and see what you can do, right? Well, any of the pro tour tracks that we go to are, are again over forty seconds long, or almost over a minute long, even yeah. for Newcastle, Nola, Sonoma's a, a longer uh, circuit, even though it's probably eight tenths of a mile. It doesn't seem that much longer, but in all reality, it really is because of the number of turns that they have compared to Ocala. Ocala's basically got what well, I think is eight turns. And and so it's there's not a lot of room for error for one. So it helps close up the field a little bit more there. You're throwing 40 carts, minis and juniors and seniors out there. You're gonna get some contact. You're gonna get some rubbing. You're gonna get some especially with the back and forth, like you said, with the hair with the hairpins and the in the uh, back part of the section where it's left, right, left. You get the back and forth action going, and you got twenty guys all going for the same piece of real estate. It contact's going to happen. There's nothing that's going to stop it, especially with that many people out on the racetrack. It's just going to happen. Well, we did have a bunch of red flags. Not not a bunch. Let's say three or four red flags. Uh, and you're right. One, a couple of them were just absolute fluke incidents. A couple were some over aggressive racing. But nonetheless. Uh, Awesome racing, great racetrack. I love going to Ocala. It was a lot of fun, even even with the shorter lap times. It doesn't matter. The racing was still great. We didn't see guys getting lapped left and right, so the the level of competition was high as well. You know, one of the big things, David, as we continue with the Paddock Pass here, is what a solid pro- a prize package. If you were going racing there, and if you finished in the top three or four, you're in great shape. They were giving out tickets uh, to the Amy International Final, and the neat thing was, if you won, you don't have to take that ticket. There was also, you know, um, they were given tire and en- tire and entry packages for the Supernats, tire and entry package for the whole Pro Tour, tire and entry packages for the remaining rounds of the California Pro Kart Challenge. There were lots of different things that were up for grabs um, for those finishing in the you know in the top three or top four. So, prize package was big. They were really rolling out the the red carpet in terms of of trying to draw people in. And if you were able to win, man, it's it was lucrative. No doubt about that. Now. One thing about the Paddock Pass, and we'll roll into it with the race report first, but let's touch on this before we go to the next break. Uh, wow. How about uh, how about Cart Republic? They um, obviously made their debut at the Super Nats in November, David. Strong with both uh, Lorenzo Travis Nuto and Danny Carroll. Uh, Travis Nuto, for all intents and purposes, won the main event in X30 Senior, got that penalty, three spots that knocked him down to fourth for jumping the start. But he comes back and... Does a top, I think he finished sixth in the opening round at Homestead, wins round number two, wins round number three at uh, at Ocala, and then finishes fourth on Sunday while Brandon Jarsacrack, who's making his debut on a Cart Republic, uh, ends up winning uh, on Sunday. Talk about a chassis that has really kind of taken the American karting scene by storm, at least at the national level, which is what's racing right now. A lot of eyes on the Cart Republic program. Well, think about it this way. You essentially have four wins and five races for an X30 senior for that chassis. If you count the Supernats yeah. 
and then the three wins we they have at the at the Florida Winter or excuse me the Winter Series, uh, it's it's a solid debut. There's no doubt about it. But it goes back to the the pedigree of of that chassis brand. I mean, that's where it all begins. Yeah. Yeah, Dino Chiesa knows his stuff. There's no doubt about that. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of ripple action this has. This is an industry that likes to get a hold of equipment that's working. Uh, they've definitely found something uh, with the chassis because it is strong right out of the box. The design is good, whatever the entire package, whether whether it's the way the chassis is designed. Of course, they they use the Jekko seat as well. That could be, maybe play a role in, in the chassis potentially being designed around uh, the flex of the seat and the performance of the seat. That will be interesting. We're going to learn more about it over the next uh, coming weeks and months. But uh, again, the arrival of Cart Republic, something that we wanted to drop here into the paddock pass because it is definitely apparent and, and quite impressive. Another break in the action. We'll be back. It's time to uh, start looking over the race reports. Let's uh, talk about who was quick, who was able to win some races as we continue with our EKN debrief as we break down the final round of the Supercarts USA Winter Series. Like most everything else, karting has always been big in Texas. But these days, it's just getting better and better. Top quality facilities and tracks, dedicated kart shops, and a pure Supercarts USA Regional Series with incredible year-end prizes. That's right, it's the Texas Pro Kart Challenge. After making the switch to the Pure Scusa program last year, with a focused class structure that offers stock Honda and IAMI categories, Texas Pro Kart Challenge is primed for their biggest season ever. It's four race weekends designed to limit time away from school and work at the finest tracks in the state of Texas. Speed Sports, Denton, Amarillo, and Dallas. The series is dedicated to offering the best program possible with a national level officiating technical staff, top quality facilities, exciting prizes, and full e-karting news trackside live coverage with play-by-play by me, Rob Howden. Join us at the new Speed Sports Racing Park in Houston for our opener on March 24th and 25th. We're going night racing on June 7th, 8th, and 9th at the iconic Denton facility. It's racing under the lights. Experience the jewel of West Texas, the Amarillo Kart Circuit, on July 20, 21, 22. And then to cap it all off, we head to the Dallas Karting Complex on September 22nd and 23rd at the track that has hosted both the Scusa Summer Nationals and the Rotex Grand Nationals. You do not want to miss it. It's the best racing in Texas, so come challenge yourself and push it to the next level. For more information, visit TexasProKartChallenge.com. Hello, karting fans. This is IndyCar driver Zach Veach, and you're locked into the EKN Radio Network. Welcome back, EKN listeners. Rob Howden alongside David Cole. Episode number 16 of the Debrief. Super, rather, uh, Supercarts USA Winter Series on the hot seat here as we uh, break it down. What happened at the final round, rounds three and four at Ocala Grand Prix. Uh, David, before the break, we mentioned how uh, great Kart Republic's been doing. As you said, essentially winning... Uh, for the last five races uh, for X30 Senior on a, on a top level. They won both uh, here at Ocala. Uh, Travis Anuto winning on Saturday and then grabbing a fourth-place finish on Sunday to, to officially win the championship. He essentially had it locked in after the win on Saturday. He was going to be able to drop Sunday regardless. Brandy Jarsakrak comes out, was getting real comfortable with the car on Saturday, and then was a monster on Sunday, uh, was able to win. 
I'll give Ryan Norberg some props because Ryan chased him down uh, on Sunday afternoon, putting fast lap after fast lap. I think Ryan's fast lap on his on his uh, Burrell Art was the final circuit of the race as he closed right in on the rear bumper uh, of Jarstacrack. But, you know, you got to get props. Travis, you know, ends up getting the win. Uh, Norberg's still the top contender. Uh, as your national number one plate holder, P3 in the standings. And, uh, you know, a great weekend as well for Callum Bradshaw for CRG Nordam as he's the vice champion. Um, you know, 35, 34, 35 guys, next 30 senior, still unbelievably stout up front. What, uh, now, I know we had some issues at Homestead with some over-aggressive driving throughout the uh, the weekend there in X30 Senior. What was the action like for for this category in Ocala with the tighter confines? Well, okay, <laughs> that you just served what nice a nice soft one up the middle of the uh, middle of the plate. Dave. Of course, it was, uh, there was it, it, it was it it was interesting. Uh, if you listen, if anybody listened to the broadcast, uh, Saturday was a block fest. There was a lot of guys that were, namely Ryan Norberg. He the car wasn't perfect for Ryan. There's no doubt about that. He was awesome on Sunday. Didn't need to bother with running down the bottom line, but he led. And with them was running, coming down the front straight, it was immediately going to the inside of the racetrack to you know keep that tight line through turn one. It tightens up, and it's it's harder for anybody to pass. Uh, I needed the same thing for the hairpins. Ran the inside of the hairpins, and of course that just stacked everybody up behind them, and that I think kind of led to some of the over aggressive racing that we had. Um, I'll give Jarsa Crack the props. He probably could have sent uh, Norberg early because I think it was probably four or five or six laps where, where Ryan would just drive to the bottom and. And really, it was the block move. And I think anybody will tell you if you block for too many laps, um, you're probably going to get going to get shuffled. Uh, but you know, Jarsh Crack chilled out. What happened then was Matias Ramirez was starting to get a little bit aggressive, a little anxious. He made a pretty aggressive move, tried to get two guys going into the sweeping turn uh, eight, the final corner on the racetrack. Got into the side and climbed over top of of, of Jarsh Crack, and that ended his day. So there was some pretty aggressive racing. I think the fact that the track's tighter and you're able to run that bottom line. You're able to run the bottom line to turn number one. And, and instead of it being that sweeper that goes all the way over to the far part of the track, they cut back for the sweep. I called it the bus stop. They cut back for essentially what is a turn two to the right, then back to turn three. And David, if you block the inside, you just had to be able to hold it. Now you stacked everybody up because you had no exit speed coming out of one over to two, but nobody was able to get by you. And that's just, if, if, if you're going to allow that kind of a, driving down the inside of the track, you're going to, you're going to know that you're going to get some contact because there's just no way to get by, especially if you block over the hairpin, then blocking, you know, block into the hair, the, the tree turn, turn number seven. It's just, it's a track that allows blocking and you'll probably win every race unless someone moves you. And the next 30 senior, you're going to get moved. So it's essentially like what we see right now with the pushback bumper in Europe, especially like what we saw at the grand finals uh, for the Rotax where, guys would run the narrow, not necessarily defensive line, but a lot of guys were running, going into corners, driving the narrow line where they would already be towards the inside of the, of the corner before you, you make your normal turn in point. So, so really, it, it, yeah, I just, it, and you know, there's, cause there's lots of talk about pushback bumpers throughout, uh, throughout the paddock and, and stuff like that. So that's why I was interested to see what your take was, especially on X30, because of what we saw in Homestead. And that's, again, that's the, the the thing that normally people don't talk about. One of the things about not having the pushback bumper is you are allowed to kind of put some of the race and the way it's being handled and the way drivers drive 
in the hands of the actual competitors. You know, you, you know, a guy can say, Hey, listen, if you block me, I'm going to, I'm going to push off the racetrack and turn five or, or, or on the fifth lap, because, you know, unless this, this, the officials say, no, that's a big block. We don't like that. Even though you're, you're still allowed to have one move. If the track lends itself to it, well, then the, the guy, if the guy, if you got the pushback bumper, the guy really can't take it into his own hands and, and make that happen. So you could drive around the inside. That said, uh, you know, I I would not be surprised with the way the racing w- was again this weekend that that Scusi just says enough's enough and go push back bumper and, and people have to deal with it. You know, that that really, really wouldn't surprise me um, because they've been doing the best they can, I think, in terms of trying to uh, figure it all out. But I don't know, David, it's it's I hear what you're saying. You you run that little bit more defensive line and, and, and if we're running the pushback bumper. The guy behind is probably not going to get into you. Then it becomes a, a a qualifying battle. Yeah. Whoever qualifies the best is is going to probably end up being on the podium. <laughs> and, and, and that works for a track like Ocala, where you could probably run the inside line all the way around. You can't do that at Newcastle. You can't run the inside line all the way around at at Nola or Sonoma. Right. You know, so there's yeah. so it maybe as you said, maybe it's just location uh, you know, specific. The fact that certain tracks you can do that, some you can't. Um, Let's move to X30 Master as we, go again, go through our race reports. Our race reports today brought to you by Briggs & Stratton. Uh, X30 Master, what a field. Uh, four of the top five drivers from the Pro Tour last year, including National 1 and National 2, Derek Wang uh, and Lauren Tumardan. Uh, but, you know, anytime Renato David's in the field with Orsalon Racing, you know he's a contender. And, David, he was uh, – he ends up winning the title uh, – Thanks to a Saturday victory, but I, you know, I'll tell you about Saturday. I want to say five, six or seven laps, maybe seven laps from the end of the race. He knocks down, I think it was a 38 six, right? He lays his smoking lap down 38, whatever, 38 six, 39. It was a six. I'm like, wow, that's pretty solid. Laying a good lap down, goes purple. And then David, for the next seven consecutive laps, while everybody's trying to chase him down, well, it was actually Derek Wang trying to chase him down, he went six, six, six. <laughs> He did seven consecutive sixes. And it was just, you know, it's one of those things where here's this cart at the very end of the day, after practice, after, after let's say on the same tires, after qualifying, after the pre-final, he bangs out the race's fastest laps for eight, seven, eight straight laps. It, it, for me, an impressive performance. Well, being a former Super Nationals winner, uh, it, it definitely shows that he knows how to beat some of the best in the world, because we know the Supernats is bringing a lot of the top Masters drivers from around the world to Vegas every year. And and the year he won it was no exception. And so him being a, a dual threat because he's also a great driver in the shifter ranks as well. You know, this this uh, this program, he focused on just the X30 Master category, uh, certainly a, a, a solid driver. And, and I think if, if he commits himself to the full pro tour, I think he's a really good top contender the odds favorite to uh to dethrone Derek Wang yeah I think you look at the guys that that are 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 stepping things up that could be really good in the pro tour you know Wang's gonna be fast again Mardan struggled a bit this particular weekend Uh, I think Jonathan Silva's starting to step up his program as well he was I think fifth last year in the points fourth or fifth uh I'll tell you who really impressed me Dave on the weekend now granted he's a home track driver but Scott Roberts um I think he probably would have been in there to challenge David on Saturday, but he and Derek Wang got together a little bit. In fact, Derek Wang finishing in the second position on track, but he did get a penalty for avoidable contact, having gotten into Scott 
uh, over in again the sweeper turn number nine uh, that, that dropped Scott to the tail of the field. He stormed his way back up as far as he could, but you know obviously wasn't going to be in the hunt. Um, he came back on Sunday though and was able to win, and it was a dominant win. He, he stepped up and won the thing. Uh, David was quick again. Wang was right there. Silva was right there. Uh, and I'll give uh, Jonathan Silva big props. Really good run to the podium on uh, on Saturday and on Sunday. <laughs> it was hilarious. He, I, I want to say he was running fourth. I think he was running yeah. fourth. And at one point, two seconds behind Derek Wang. And so here's a guy who's trying to step it up. You know, obviously Derek Wang, national number one. If you're going to, you know, gauge yourself against anybody, you do it against Wang. And Jonathan... I mean, dude, he was up on the wheel trying to – because he wanted another podium. But he was faster than Wang almost every lap, but by four hundredths of a second or maybe a tenth. So he just kept chipping away, chipping away. Oh, and it's a long race. It was a 20, I think it was a 25-lap race or something like that. And he just kept he just kept chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, and at the end came up a couple tenths of a second short. But it was one of those things where – Man, he's needed a couple more laps, but you know, I'm trying to call this race like he's closing up, and it was always, well, he's quicker by six hundredths of a second. <laughs> well, tough. again, again, yeah. as we always say, it's it's a lot easier to catch someone than it is to pass someone. So once you get there, it's it you can't, especially at that point of the day, it's hard to find that extra tenth or two in order to get by somebody or. Or even just waiting for a mistake, and that's one thing you don't see from Wang or Renato or or especially Roberts on Sunday. There was nobody was making a mistake, and and so no. so so Silva couldn't capitalize on that. Uh, and you mentioned in our notes, David. Pretty pretty interesting. Derek Wang, first time he didn't win a championship in a couple of years in Scusa competition. So. So, yeah, it's just a little back to back. Yeah, just a little uh, a little stat there for you, you know, because I mean. He's he's he has and then that's the thing like he has not been like the dominant driver throughout the last two three years in Scusa competition but he's always been right there and 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 able to get a, able to come away with the championship both years so it's I just I just see this year becoming even a even a tighter fight because if you know going back to all the same same tracks we've been to with all the same drivers coming back you know everybody has all their notes now and. It, I think it's just going to be an epic battle throughout the year in X30 Master. Yeah, Masters is so much fun to watch. And you're right, Dave, uh, David. Uh, Wang's consistency is what does it. He usually bags one or two wins a year, one win a year, but everything else is so consistent. Just a, uh, And another great run for him as well uh, here at the Winter Series. Uh, X30 Junior. That racing was pretty tough, uh, pretty rough there. Tough and rough, let's put it that way. Uh, you know, we've talked about the fact that how you know the, the Ocala track a little smaller, the hairpins, just the way it's kind of lined up. There was a, it was it was pretty rough. There was uh, the guys up front are are getting real aggressive. Um, they're, you know, they're 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 driving with their body work. There's no doubt about that. They're making some pretty aggressive moves um, when they're getting past. They're doing the jink thing where they're you know, kind of cutting back in to try to stop it. And it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's not for us to control. It's just for us to kind of discuss. And, uh, and I think, I think that the pushback bumper probably helped the juniors out a ton. Uh, overall uh, opening race, uh, Thomas Navo for PSL carding on the Burrell ends up winning the race, but uh, gets penalized for a start infraction that uh, passes the win over the Sebastian Montoya. I uh, obviously big for him to try to win this championship, uh, there was contact with uh, with Gonzalez as well. 
uh, midway through. He ends up going off the racetrack in turn number nine. That really hurt his title hopes. I think he really had an opportunity um, to take a run at Montoya for the title. Wasn't able to do it. Sebastian ends up getting the championship uh, with three podiums in, in four races. But on Sunday, it was the Paralyn driver, uh, Mar- Mateus Morgado, coming through to the win, David. We didn't, you know, talking about chassis-wise, we talked a bit about um, about Cart uh, Republic being strong and coming out, of, coming out of the box. But how about Paralyn as well? You know, coming out of the box strong at Homestead with uh, with Formal and the shifter. They got a couple really good kids, a couple of podiums in the micro-swift category with Caleb Gaffera and Ethan Ayers. Uh, they got some badasses in this junior category as well. Mateus Morgado, very strong on the Paralyn. Yeah, that's that's another brand that's been slowly gaining speed uh, throughout the years, um, and and obviously it has a reputation already as being one of the leading uh, chassis manufacturers in producing a lot of the number of different brands that are already out there and doing their own. It was it was part of the Academy Trophy, so it it's definitely has has been developed a lot over the last few years. It's just now gaining gaining some notoriety here in the United States. Jim Russell Jr. has been pushing that brand uh, for a number of years here. Uh, obviously, in the cadet categories, we've seen it. Uh, but now it's with uh, Ariel down in Florida, it's starting to move out into the junior and the senior and the shifter categories. Yeah, you know, with uh, obviously Russell Carding shutting down and, and Jim kind of coming back with his own uh, team operation, uh, he will be the you know the parallel importer. You got Ariel Castro, as you said, with the AM Racing Program. You get a couple big teams like that and in the right areas, and and I think the Parallel program is going to continue to grow and continue to find some success. They were very impressive uh, down in Ocala. Let's cap off our first uh, run through the race report here, brought to you by Briggs & Stratton with Stock Honda. David, uh, we talked about the, the issues with the numbers, uh, but let's just look at the, the, what happened on the racetrack. Musgrave, the only driver there in S1, so he rolls in and wins a, essentially a $3,000 entry in and tire package to, to run the Scusa Pro Tour uh, as the champion. S2 was a, obviously the highlight. We had a, a good number of drivers in S2 and, and some really good ones as well, guys that were top of S2 last year, who I think we're going to see moving to S1. Uh, it really was the battle between Colin Daly and Rory Vanderstuer um, in the S2 category. Vanderstuer ends up with, uh, with the championship after a dominant run, actually beat Musgrave as well uh, on Sunday. I know Vanderstuer is going to S1. I know that Daly was considering going to S1. We may find ourselves with a really solid group of S1 drivers at the Pro Tour. I'm excited about that. Uh, Luke Bola and Ben Schirmerhorn splitting the S4 main events. Uh, the title went to the number three uh, Scusa plate holder, Schirmerhorn. Rod Clenard, perfect at Ocala, wins both races on Saturday over um, Victor Jimenez. Uh, and uh, on Sunday, actually going, uh, winning over Mike Rivera. Farshag Bagheri was quick as well. I think he was on the podium both days on the TB cart, but Dave, I went about, he was running second all, all race on Sunday. And, you know, they come across the line and I'm like, where's Farshad? Where? And Mike comes across Rivera and the CKR ends up in second. I went to talk to Farshad afterward. And he said, I guess an S2 guy in front of him was spilling fuel out all over the, all over the place and caught him off guard. And he just did the full opposite, a full lock on the wheel and almost got into the barriers. So, he was happy with third and happy with the fact that he kept it on the racetrack and out of the barriers because that could have been a sketchy uh, sketchy incident for, for Bagheri. That's, that's always a positive, keeping it off the barriers. Right. All right. We got more to come here. We got, what, another uh, five categories or four categories still to talk about on the other side of this break. Stay with us. Dave and I will continue the breakdown 
of the final rounds of the Supercarts USA Winter Series in just a few moments. You've heard the name VME Kart all winter. It's the hottest new chassis on the circuit, and it's time to get behind the wheel of one yourself. It doesn't matter what series, the VME Kart is running up front. The WK Manufacturers Cup, the Scusa Winter Series, the Florida Winter Tour, the Challenge of the Americas. VME Kart is on fire. VME Kart USA is the new importer for Vince and Lorenzo Mandarino's creations, and we're ready to take the karting scene by storm. Colin Neal kicked off the 2018 season with two big wins on his VME cart at the WK Manufactured Cup opener in Daytona. And then, Chase Gardner put the VME cart on top of the podium at the Rock Cup Challenge of the Americas opener in Phoenix in February. Big wins at big races, and there's much more where that came from. To learn about our chassis and our program, and to see what we're doing in U.S. karting every weekend, follow us on Facebook at VME Cart USA. Hello, karting fans. This is Chris Wheeler from Bell Racing USA, and you are locked into the EKN Radio Network. Welcome back to episode number 16 of the EKN Debrief, part of the EKN Radio Network. And again, we welcome all of you who are listening to the live streaming of, uh, of the EKN Radio Network. We're absolutely thrilled. The, the only radio station for karting online, 24-7, 365. Podcasts, race reports, race results, uh, all the play-by-play uh, great stuff happening this year on the EKN Radio Network. We're back out of here. The race report of the Scusa Winter Series brought to you by Briggs & Stratton. Dave, you know the funny thing is we love watching Masters racing. I love watching the, the, the adults get at it and battle. But the Mini Swift and the Micro Swift guys are putting on great shows. And I, I really like the racecraft we're getting. A little bit of blocking out of some of the drivers. But again, the kids don't normally get as aggressive in terms of getting into the back of each other. Sometimes it's just a little block here and there. Uh, bottom line was Mini Swift, an absolutely fantastic weekend of racing for that category with so many cars, 46 carts in the field, um, and some great performances as well. Well, it's one, those are one categories. Those are the, the two categories you never see somebody walk away. And I, I think it's a lot of it has to do with they just want to race each other. You know, they, that's not, they're, they're young kids. They just want to race. It's just like you go, you go to like coaching my kids basketball practice. They don't, they don't want to learn things. They just want to play. They just want to play a basketball game. That's all they want to do. So I think that's kind of the thing where they're not they're, Yeah, they want to win, but they, they just want to race. And so that's why I don't think you see a lot of blocking one because they're not quite there, uh, uh, talent wise. So where they're able to do that while still holding, uh, the position without losing it or sketching off track or something like that. But uh, I think they just want to race. They, they, they just want to pass each other and, and win. I agree with that. You know, they probably just haven't been, been taught to be real dicks on the racetrack yet either. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, there again, that too. I mean, they're, they're they, they don't think that way. Well, they come off the they come off the track and play together afterwards. Most of the senior guys aren't playing together afterwards, right? Well, These, the, the micro and the mini come off, they're high five, and then they're running around until the time they, they have to put the suit back on and, and go. Well, that's right. You, you don't you um, don't want to piss you don't want to piss off your friend who has the cool new game or or one of the cool right. cool new scooters or one of the cool new bikes or something like that. You don't want to piss them off, so because then you won't play with. I wonder how many. <laughs> I wonder how many times that's been said, dude. Why didn't you pass him? Well, if I passed him, he wouldn't let me use his hoverboard. <laughs> ah, that's solid. That is solid. All right, listen, let's let's get down to brass tacks. Um, Mini Swift, 
Wow. Um, Jeremy Fletcher. You know, I, I local guys know the racetrack, of course. Jeremy's had some pretty good runs. Super Nats, we saw him work his way forward as well. And a lot of things, he seems to be that guy, that hard charger that maybe starts further back in the field and, and works his way forward. On a dominant, dominant win on, on, let's not worry about working his way forward. Dominant win on Saturday. Just an absolutely great run for Jeremy. He scores the victory. Obviously, very popular. Everyone at uh, Ocala Grand Prix at the home circuit were absolutely thrilled. You know, when we, when we uh, announced him to get on top of the podium, big round of applause. Uh, you get that dominant run. And David, you, you know, I've said it for many years ad nauseum that, uh, that if you, I, I'm not that impressed. I'm impressed, but not impressed by a guy that starts on pole and wins a race. Good for you. You were able to get the job done. Fletcher has an issue. Someone drives over top of him in the Sunday pre-final. He starts at the tail of a 46 cart grid. I think it was 43 or whatever started. Dude, he drove. He passed 10 carts over the first. I want to say two or three laps. We had a red flag for an incident over in the first hairpin. Everybody was fine, able to get things fired back up. So he benefited by that. Single file, everybody bunches everybody back up. But I'm telling you, I'm getting all excited. I'm going to call Fletcher coming through, you know, where he is every lap, how many carts has he passed, you know, he's got X amount of laps. I start talking about a race up front. When I get back, he's in 10th. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm going to come back, and he's probably going to be 16th. This, he was like, in the, it might have been 9th. I'm like, what the hell just happened? Uh, and he was – he. And we talk about it's hard to teach to this to a kid. You said it earlier. You can catch someone. You can be fast. You can catch someone. And then when they get there, they run that person's speed. They're not aggressive to make that immediate move. In watching Fletcher come through the field, there was no hesitation. And because I think he knows the racetrack. I know I could pass here, here, and here. He timed it. He made sure that the momentum he had was right everywhere. Dude, he passed. When he got to a cart, he passed the cart. It was the, the next opportunity, the next overtake. He was there. And it was, I mean, he didn't win. Um, he, he, he worked his way up there. But I'm telling you, came up second. An absolutely thrilling race. Carson Morgan ends up getting the win. But oh, it was a fantastic, fantastic weekend for Fletcher. Yeah, this is something I think he's done at another racetrack too. It might have been Newcastle. I can't remember where it was. But he he's one driver that definitely knows how to pass drivers. And that proved it uh, this weekend. And I love that because I think that's one of the most important things you can do as a driver. Uh, winning from pole is nice. It's fantastic. Good for you. Uh, maybe you'll be fantastic if you're in a Mercedes in Formula One. But if you want to come from the tail of the field uh, after a tough qualifying session or whatever it may be, you have to be able to pass people. And uh, I was super impressed. That was It was an absolutely great weekend. We'll give props to Brent Cruz as well. He ends up with the championship. The consistency of three podium finishes does it. Uh, Carson Morgan actually got a penalty, an issue in the pre-final on Sunday that, that – uh, definitely affected his opportunity to win the championship. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, uh, the championship going to Cruz and, and Nitro Kart, uh, they actually won both championships, Nitro Kart, winning both the Micro and Mini. Uh, as we go into Micro, dude, it was it was awesome. It was really a four or a five-cart battle, like a front pack throughout the entire weekend, uh, with just some great drivers in it. Parker DeLong, uh, Ben Mayer was in the battle. Max Garcia was right in there. Uh, Danny Dzelski, of course, Caleb Gaffaro was in there as well. Uh, Ethan Ayers had a fantastic drive from deep in the field to fourth uh, on Saturday and then was able to get on the podium on Sunday as well. But uh, there are just some good drivers in this micro class. M- maybe too many. Well, there's a couple of guys out there that like to look or look behind them all the time. <laughs> I'd like to see that stop because it leads to blocking. Uh, but I'll tell you, pretty solid, uh, pretty solid run for the guys in, in micro. 
As I tell my dad, there's nothing wrong with looking back as long as you can continue going forward. <laughs> but uh, you look back, I was just going to say, a reason, hey, there's a reason to look back, and that's the block. Okay, I never you know, blocked. Like, anyway, yeah, me neither have I. But if there's a guy, if you're looking back, it's because you're trying to set the block up. That's a bottom line. But a lot, yeah, I think the racing in micro is pretty good because a lot of these kids have been racing together now for three to four years, starting back in kid carts. So it's it's good to see these kids developing so well at such a young age. Yeah, I agree. That's that's so very true. And we're going to watch. What I always love is we're going to watch these kids, these these seven, eight, nine year olds. We get a chance to watch them for the next ten years. You know, if they, as long as they stay in the sport, as we all hope they do, uh, and run some senior years of senior and continue to run, we'd love to have them keep running. Um, it's going to be fun to watch these guys develop. Two hundred six. I was thrilled. I love having the Briggs guys there because I think it's a different feel. If anybody's around watching the watching the event, they get to see really what it what is the best way to get into the sport. Uh, Colin Warren, David was absolutely amazing. Again, he, he was challenged more this weekend than he was at St. Uh, I mean, at, uh, at Homestead, um, Seve DePinto was right in there. Um, you know, Gamera, Chris, uh, Chris Jamara was here this weekend to battle him. They were all on VLRs for TS racing. Jamara was real quick. So was DePinto. Uh, but Colin Warren still comes away, goes four for four, uh, in the winter series to win the championship. Uh, MGM, Got out, kind of got out of their way. They had some issues um, on on track by themselves and with a with a scoring issue uh, at Homestead. Man, Zach Linsell, real good two podiums for him. Uh, so all in all, a, a great run in senior masters class was good racing. Uh, they MGM brought Joey Miller in and he really kind of dominated the action on Saturday and, and got MGM their first Scusa Winter Tour Series win. But it was the consistency of Eli Yanko, the driver from Canada, who's uh, here with uh, with Terry Ventresco, who we've known for many many years. And the VSR crew, uh, he gets the Sunday victory and, and gets the championship um, uh, in the process. We'll give shout out to Dan Breitenstein, who had a great run, uh, finishing third uh, both days. He finishes, uh, I think he finished third behind Mark Julian, who ended up winning uh, at Homestead. But dude, two hundred six, just good racing. It was just, it was fun to watch it because it's as you, as you know, it's just that great train strategy. You got to make the move at the right time. You're not quick enough that you're hard in the brakes, so you can go deeper on the brakes. It's about setting up that pass. Well, looking at that, I didn't realize it. I don't think we said that earlier, but it was an American chassis, one, two, three, both days in the Briggs senior class. That's pretty cool. Is the VL, I didn't think the VLR was made in the U.S. Is it made in the well, U.S.? Well, it's an American brand. I, 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 yeah, that's true. I guess it's not made in the U.S., but it's an American brand. It's kind of like an Illuminos, I guess, maybe. There you uh, go. I like that. Or, or, that. You know, or almost a comp cart type deal where it's designed or, 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 you know, based here in the United States. So I like it. And I, I agree. It's awesome. It was, uh, and again, I just got to give props to Colin Warren. Absolutely tremendous. Uh, uh, all series long. Let's dude, let's wrap this thing up. That's We're done for the breakdown. Let's, let's start looking forward because you and I, uh, we got work to do <laughs> over the, over the next month. Dude. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. This, uh, we're going to wrap things up here with the EKN Trackside Live Race Counter. Uh, this episode brought to you by Franklin Motorsports and Merlin USA. Uh, David, we're what, just about uh, 10 days away from hitting the road, getting back in the air, landing in LAX, grabbing a quick double-double at In-N-Out, and rolling out to Cal Speed Karting. We got uh, Challenge of the Americas, round number two coming. Yeah, we haven't been there uh, with with the challenge since 2013 uh, when they held their finale there. So it'll be cool to go back to Cal Speed. It'll be a little bit of a shame to be separated from Shelby 
and we'll be in our in our time our he'll she'll be on her timings tower and we'll be in our little booth for uh for announcing but uh, overall it's pretty sure. it's pretty cool to be there you know it's it's a very obviously popular track in the la area uh so it's nice to go back there but uh it's definitely going to be a pretty cool event because obviously they're expecting more entries than what we saw in phoenix so we're maybe going to flirt with maybe a hundred entries there for this weekend or for that weekend yeah I think you know, we did, when we did the debrief of the challenge uh, after we were in Phoenix, we talked about that, that, that there is a, a small faction of, of uh, a rock cup drivers in Southern California. There's obviously a bunch of drivers in the rock up in, in Northern California who may come down as well. We expect more drivers when we head up, up to Sonoma for round number three. So yeah, if there's an opportunity to, to top, uh, top the 100 mark. And it, again, a lot of, a lot of 206 guys as well in Southern California. So hopefully we can get 3206s onto the racetrack. From there, March 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, we kick off the uh, national season for Supercarts USA competition. David and I heading down to New Orleans. NOLA Motorsports Park. Love that racetrack. You know, David can get a hamburger anywhere, but I get to I get to rock some jambalaya. I get to rock some gumbo. It's Cajun cooking for Rob. There's Not a good uh, there's there, there's a good burger place down uh, by Bourbon Street. So uh, we had we went there Sunday night and we might hit there again this year. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. Uh, then, you know what? We're hooking together, having a burger, but we are not together on the March 23rd, 24th, 25th weekend. I head down to Texas for the first round of the Texas Pro Car Challenge. Back to Alan Rudolph's Speed Sport Racing Park. Man, I dug that racetrack. A lot of fun. We, we capped off Texas Pro Car Challenge last year. We're going to start it there this year. I'm excited about, about that. I believe it's only it's a, because it's in the, in the school year, and I love what they're doing. It's a two-day event. We're Saturday, Sunday, I believe. I think, we're, yes. I think we're Saturday, Sunday. Yes. So we practice Saturday, qualifying Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, race on Sunday. I think that'll be great. You though, David, you're uh, you're going down to Mooresville. Race, it. race City USA, baby. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's true. I, I think I've been there every year that they've opened, so it's good to go back again. I'll be there twice for the WK Manufacturers Cup Series. Uh, so this time in March, and then the finale, I believe, in October. So uh, this weekend it'll or that weekend it'll restart the uh, the manufacturer series which started in Daytona. So we've had a couple of months off with that program, and uh, everybody that run that follows that series will be uh, back at it again at the end of March. Not exactly sure how we're going to approach the EKN Live program. We're going to have two of them. Obviously, David's going to have Eric Brennan on the mic for the WK Manufacturers Cup. I'll be handling the call for the Texas Pro Car Challenge. We'll figure it all out, and we'll let you know. We'll have links for you. Uh, as we continue to do our EKN Trackside Live program. David, that is it, my friend. Uh, we've done it. It's a debrief for the Scusa Winter Series. Bottom line, just a, an absolutely fantastic event, a, a fantastic launch to Scusa's return to Florida. I think that's the key. Yes, it, it got off to a great start with Homestead, followed it up with, with another stellar event in Ocala. And so now they have uh, basically nine months maybe less than that to, to start planning for next year's uh, second year. Yeah. They just happened to have a, a, a pro tour, a pro card challenge and a super Nats to plan for as well. Yeah. So nothing. A little busy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are done here for this episode of the debrief. Thank you so much for joining in on behalf of David Cole. This has been Rob Howden. We're excited. 2018 season is underway. Lots more races to come, lots more podcasts to come. Thank you again for joining us here on the EKN Radio Network. <laughs>